At the beginning of the Revolutionary War, a young American soldier uh, was growing in acclaim for his military prowess. Uh, he helped the American forces capture the British garrison at Fort Ticonderoga in 1775. Uh, he later was instrumental in, in the victory against the British at Saratoga in 1777. And although this, this young man was growing in a military, uh, becoming a military hero because of his efforts, he never thought he was properly recognized for what he did. This budding American hero started negotiations with the British to help them take West Point in exchange for money in a high post in the British Army. He broke his promise to his fellow soldiers. He betrayed his friends to win favor with the enemy. This once American hero, Benedict Arnold, has now become synonymous with the word traitor. Broken promises can lead heroes to become traitors. In your life, has someone broken a promise to you? Have you ever felt betrayed? Was it hard for you to trust them again? It is no surprise that we live in a world of broken promises. From politicians not fulfilling their campaign promises to athletes using performance-enhancing drugs, we are daily bombarded with seeing a string of broken promises. And as we see these broken promises day by day, we are inevitably tempted to ask, can anyone be trusted? And if we doubt whether we can trust any human person that we can see, we also may be tempted to doubt God, who we can't see. Does God keep his promises? Can God be trusted? That word, I pray that we would be able to, to answer this morning as we look through this prophecy of Zephaniah. Uh, Zephaniah prophesied uh, during the reign of Josiah from six. 40 to 609 B.C., uh, Josiah was the young, righteous king who helped to restore true worship in Israel. And as you see, as we read this text, his reforms fell short. Judah had fallen into idolatry since his great-grandfather Hezekiah was on the throne. Uh, Zephaniah also came from the line of Hezekiah, which we read in verse 1. God's word, Zephaniah 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah. Now, as you read this letter, you'll know that Zephaniah has some strong words to say against the nation of Israel. Therefore, he's establishing his national pedigree as someone that you should listen to. Uh, but we know that the, the, what legitimized Zephaniah's word was not his, his heritage, his, his national pedigree, but that it was from the word of the Lord. And in this prophecy, God makes bold promises that he intends to keep. The first promise we see here is that God promises punishment on the day of the Lord. God promises punishment on the day of the Lord. The nation of Israel had fallen into idolatrous religious practices. They've abandoned the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, Exodus 23. Their worship was filled with syncretism. So they worshiped God, and yet they also worshipped other things. I would say much like the American church. This dual worship is a rejection against God's word. And because of their rejection, God has promised to bring his punishment. Zephaniah chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Notice the I wills in this, uh, in this prophecy. 
This is speaking directly to God's people. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 2. I will utterly sweep everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea and the ruble with the wicked. I will cut off from mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah, against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priest along with with the priest, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of heaven, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord and inquire of him. Be silent before the Lord your God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guest on the day of the Lord's sacrifice. I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. Now, remember, this is a prophecy against the the people of God. And the Lord has promised to punish those who bow to another God, who have who have mixed Worship. He will do this on the day of the Lord. It cannot be avoided. God will keep his promise on the day of the Lord. Zephaniah 1, 7. And did God keep his promise? Well, we, we know that the day of the Lord here kind of has a dual meaning. Uh, it's the prophecy of the coming exile of God's people to Babylon, as well as that, that long day of the Lord at the end of history. God is patient, but he will punish his people. It's amazing that, that this is to the nation of Judah. Uh, only a, a few years before, in 722 B.C., Israel was in the same boat. And God warned Israel to repent, and Israel didn't. So God took the Assyrians and, and wiped out Israel. Now it's Judah's turn, who has not listened to the heed, the warning of the Lord. God will punish his own people. Now, punishment is not something we often like to think about in our day. It's not a conversation that usually tickles the heart, makes us happy and and joyful. Our culture has adopted the philosophy that wants to remove all notions of punishment based on our own individual choices. We live in an age where it's becoming criminal to speak about God's punishment and the various forms of idolatry of our day. October 2014, the city of Houston requested all the the sermons of local pastors because they spoke against the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance. This ordinance attempted to create public accommodations for gender identity and and sexuality, much like what's happened in North Carolina. City attorneys requested subpoenas of, and I quote, all speeches, presentations, or sermons related to the ordinance, the petition, uh, Mayor Parker homosexuality, gender identity, prepared by, delivered by, revised by, or approved by you or in your possession. See, the city of Houston, which is kind of a microcosm of really the, the, the government of our day, the elite of our, of our day, believed that it was and is wrong for any pastor, the one who proclaims God's word regularly, to, to speak against idolatry. And yet God would say to them, to these lawyers, that they are claiming to be wise, but they have become fools. For they, Romans 125, have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
The, city, the officials of the city of Houston did not believe that God keeps his promises to judge idolatry. That is in the past, not the present day. Beloved, do not be deceived. God always keeps his word. Beloved, we must fight for the truth of the gospel. And we must fight not to be complacent in our own lives. Sometimes we think that God is only going to be judging those out there. But remember, who is this prophecy written to? To Judah, God's own people. If we are complacent, God may bring his justice down upon us. Listen to the next words of Zephaniah, chapter 1, verse 9. On that day I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and on those who will fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of mortar, for all the traitors are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. Now listen to this. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, meaning that I will search God's people. I will inspect the hearts of the people of God. And I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will the Lord do ill. Their goods shall be plundered, says the Lord, and their house laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant venues, they shall not drink wine from them. Beloved, many mainline denominations have become complacent and have joined with the spirit of the age. They have become complacent thinking that God will not do good or God will do ill. That God is passive in this world. But beloved, God is actively working in our lives. He is active and intimately involved in the world in which he created. So we can't drift like other denominations. We can't drift in our own hearts and think that God is unaware or God does not care about our own lives. I think these words by Zephaniah should humble us. They should sober us up to come face to face with the reality of his mighty and ferocious promise. Much like what, what Peter said in his epistle, that judgment will begin first in the house of God. God is jealous for his own glory. He's jealous for his name. He will have no rivals. Let us tremble as we hear about that day. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast, a battle cry against the fortified cities, against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. As I said, this, this, what Zephaniah is doing here, he's foreshadowing two days. He's foreshadowing the day when, when Babylon will come and destroy the nation of, of Judah for their false worship only keeping a remnant for himself being sent to exile. But he's also talking about that day when God will come and destroy all forms of idolatry and the false worship of his people who claim the Lord and live differently and those who do not know the Lord at all. 
God will take the true remnant of Christ's followers and they will be saved. The coming day of judgment should cause us to tremble and repent. God promises to punish on the day of the Lord. Zephaniah, in chapter 2, changes the prophecy a little bit. So the first one is, chapter 1 is directed to God's people. Chapter 2 is really a, a prophecy of, of punishment to, to, the, to the nations. But in the midst there, there's this, this promise of hope, which is our second point. God promises protection on the day of the Lord. God promises protection on the day of the Lord. You know, he, all, he opens this, this prophecy against the strong words against Judah. And then he offers this glimpse of hope to the opposing nation. Remember, salvation always comes with judgment. As God will come as judge, he will also come as Savior. Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 1. Gather together. Yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like the chaff, before there comes the, upon you the burning anger of the Lord. Before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble in the land. You who do his just commandments, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. How gracious and merciful is God. These are the the wicked nations. The the coming judgment of God is, is coming. And yet he says, those who seek me, who humble themselves, may perhaps be hidden from the anger of the Lord. Imagine standing in, a, in a open, the open plains of Africa, and all of a sudden you, hear the, you feel the ground shaking, and you look in the distance and you see a herd of elephants coming right towards you. You're in a giant field, there's no place to go, they're about 100 yards out, and you're frozen. These Giant beasts are, are running at full speed towards you, as far as the eye can see. And all you can do at that moment is fall to your knees and pray. And pray that God would deliver you. And out of, out of nowhere, you, you see a rock in front of you. You run to that rock and you hide behind it and you, you, you protect yourself waiting for the, the anger of the elephant's herd to come upon you. And what you see is that the elephant just go around that rock. And you're protected from that herd. That is what God is offering here. This, 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 this ferocious anger that God has promised says, I will hide you behind a rock. Much like he says to, to Moses in Exodus 33. He says, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by by me where you shall stand on the rock. While my glory passes by you, I will put in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. The name Zephaniah means the Lord has hidden, or the Lord has protected. The only hope for protection on the day of the Lord is, is a humble recognition of the Son, Jesus Christ, and his Lordship. Jesus said of Peter's confession in Matthew chapter 16, when, Jesus, when Peter said, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God, Jesus responded, on this rock I will build my church. The rock is the confession of confessors. Those who, who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord have their refuge in him. He will protect them from the anger of the Lord. 
The cleft of the rock that will hide us from the co- God's coming judgment is that confession. Is our confession and our trust that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord of all. And yet, we know that we have all sinned. We have all broken the first commandment that thou shalt have no other gods. Right here in Zephaniah, it's a powerful image how we have all become our own gods. Look at Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 15. 15 to verse 2 of chapter 3. It says, this is the exultant city that lives securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one else. What a desolation she has become, a lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by here hisses and shakes his fists. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled the oppressing city. She listens to no voice and accepts no correction. She does not trust the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. The proud say in their hearts, I am, and there's no one else. They live and function as the supreme authority in their own lives. They do what they want and when they want. And beloved, we have all been there. The problem is, is there's only one ultimate I am. When Moses asked God to tell him, who should I say sent me to, to Egypt, to the people of God? He says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. There is only one I am and there is no one else. Only Yahweh, the God of the Bible, is supreme. In the Gospel of John, Jesus draws upon this I am statement, implicitly implying his divinity. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Beloved, there is only one I am. And there is none else. Only God is supreme. And yet the Bible says that we've all lived our own way. We've all lived as our own I am. We lived as our own sovereign authority, doing what we wanted when we wanted it. We've all rejected the sovereign authority of the only true I am. Rebelling against his authoritative word. And what does God say to those who, who, who loft up in their heart and say, I am? God says, I will bring punishment upon you. And yet, he has to punish our rebellion. But in his kindness, he chose to keep his promise by sending his own son to be punished in our place. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus laid down his life to become the rock that keeps us hidden from the anger of the Lord. For those who believe in Christ have died. And our life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3 We are hidden with Christ in God because Christ has taken God's punishment. See, belief is not a mere, is not mere intellectual assent. But it's when we humble ourselves before God and rightly acknowledge that he is Lord over us and the world. We relinquish our right to say no to Jesus. Do you know that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you have no right to say no to him anymore? He is your God. His word is the final word. We are not our own, but we've been bought in our price. And our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own, but belong both body and soul in life and in death to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our only 
hope. All who humble themselves and confess that Jesus is Lord, who walks in the light and is in the light, has fellowship with one another, and the, the blood of his Son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. So Zephaniah expanded this hope, the hope of the gospel, on the day of the Lord, to wicked nations of all who humble themselves and trust in the one I am as their refuge. And they would be hidden just like the people of Judah. Beloved, this is a message we have to share. We share it with, a, with the, the elite of our day, with a, the city of Houston and the entire world. God has promised judgment, and he will keep his promise to judge the wicked and all who don't have Christ. And yet he offers protection on the day through Christ. We must never be silenced in sharing both the promised punishment and the promised protection of sin offered in Christ. Lastly, God promises praise on the day. He promises protection, punishment, and praise. I love how, the, how Zephaniah unpacks this. Uh, the day of the Lord, we know, is going to be great level of destruction. You just heard that the day of distress will be, the day of the Lord will be. But it's also going to be great in regards to the delight that's going to happen among the saints. God will not only save Israel, but he's going to gather all people to himself. Look at Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of, them, all of them will call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds of which you have rebelled against me. Just full stop there. Did you, did you hear that? On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you rebelled against me. For then I will remove... From your midst, your proudly exalted ones, and you shall be no longer haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a, a people, a, a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor there shall be found a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. God is going to bring praise to his name from every people, from every tribe, nation, and language. He alludes to this great harvest and the throne room of heaven saying, Beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers shall bring my offering. This, this section, Zephaniah focuses on the, the changed speech of the people as a sign of a true heart. We know that Jesus says that out of the, the mouth, the heart speaks. So what, 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 what Zephaniah is pointing to is that when you have been born again, your language changes. We no longer speak lies, we speak the, the truth. We proclaim his excellencies, First Peter says, who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. God's people let no corrupting talk come out of their mouths, but only that which is good for building up, that we may give grace to those who hear. Our speech and our praise is a sign that we have become God's people. So when we gather as a church and we lift our voices in praise to the Lord, we, we, are, we are declaring that we have been changed. That we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That God has given us a new heart. That we have received mercy. We have been given grace. 
that are, the judgments against us have been removed. He begins in this prophecy with woe and judgment and ends with praise and joy. Look at Zephaniah chapter 3. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Why should we sing? The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared you, cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. Beloved, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should love to sing. We should love to sing God's praises. Some of my favorite moments in our church are not when I get up and declare the word, but hearing you sing. Let it never be that our hearts are not ready to sing. Prepare your hearts by listening to the music that we're going to sing on Sunday. So you can sing it well, that you can sing it out, that you can know it. You know, one of the, the greatest challenges for a pastor is planning a service. How many older songs do we sing? How many newer songs do we sing? This is probably where I get most of the, the flack from the congregation. Okay? Um, that should never happen. Because if, if, if the words that we're singing are talking about that the Lord is in our midst, that the, 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 the judgments have been taken away from us, then we should love to sing those songs. Because when you don't like a song, there's somebody else in the sanctuary who loves that song and let them sing it with all their heart. We are singing to the Lord. The King of Israel, the Bible says, the Lord is in our midst. The Eternal Son became our Emmanuel, God with us. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews 2.17, therefore we had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. God has taken away the judgments against us and put them on, on Christ. And because of Christ, we shall never fear evil. That's what it says. We should never feel, fear evil again. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we shall fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. And because God is with us, we shall never again fear evil. God became with us in Christ. And now the presence of God is mediated to us by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been deposited in our heart, guaranteeing our inheritance. Shedding the, the love abroad in our hearts, knowing that our God is mighty to save. Zephaniah 3, 16-20. On that day... It shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let your hands not grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those who mourn for the festival, so that you, don't, they will, no, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in. At that time when I gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Do you ever feel that you are not loved by God? Do you ever feel that, you know, I know that God, God will save me. But I think he just has to put up with me. 
He's not really happy that I'm that I chose to follow him. But just says, I don't feel that that love from him. I hope that when you, if you ever doubt God's love for you, you remember these words. He delights. He delights to bring us salvation. And what does it say? He sings over us with loud singing. Right before Ellen and I uh, started dating, uh, we, we took a road trip. I asked her if she'd go on a road trip with me to, to make a video for my mom's 50th birthday. Uh, so we were leaving the next day, and that night she was packing up her clothes and getting ready, getting ready to leave. And she had the radio on, and she was just singing at the top of her lungs, right? She was just singing. And her roommates came into her room and said, what is wrong with you? She's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm going on a trip with Dave. And she was so excited to spend four days with potentially her, her future, future husband. And I've never forgot that image. Because that's what the Lord does with us. He delights to be with us. So he sings loudly because he loves us. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. And beloved, do not miss it. This great promise is not just to you as an individual, but this is to us as a body. God is never only about saving individuals, but he's about forming a people uh, for himself who are zealous for good works. Every Sunday, we have the great privilege to model the eschatological reality of the end of time when the saints gather together. Read this again this afternoon and just see how many times Zephaniah talks about gathering the saints together. What a privilege What a privilege we get to proclaim our trust in God's future reality when we come together as a church. When we actually gather or we actually church, meaning assemble. The word itself means assembly. Our gatherings as God's assembly means far more than we realize. Therefore, do not forsake. Hear me. Do not forsake the gathering together of the saints as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another as long as the day is drawing near. It's hard for some of you to believe that God will keep his promise of punishment. While it's hard for others of you to believe that God will keep his promise of praise over his people. Whatever side you find yourself on today, you must always remember that God keeps his promises. He promises to punish sin. He promises to protect those who are hidden in Christ. And he promises to exalt over you with loud singing. Trust his promises. He's faithful. He will surely do it. Father, we thank you so much for being a gracious God. We thank you that you are a God who can be trusted. That you are a God who keeps his promises. God, I pray that you would take this word and plant it deep into our hearts. That you are a God who has removed the punishments against us. That you've placed them on Christ. And because of that, you have taken our shame and you've turned it to praise. God, I pray that we would look forward to the day every single Sunday when we gather as your people to to sing that you are in our midst, that you are a mighty one to save. And as we sing and gather, God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts the hope of the future reality when we will gather around your throne with people from every tribe, and tongue and nation, singing, Worthy is the Lamb 
who was slain. We pray this in Jesus' name.